With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to Bantering the Blue Shirts with Mike Merkels and Tom Oots. Tom? Tom Urch Jr. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing very well, Mike. How are you doing today? Well, Igor has arrived. The Igor has landed. Um, he's everything I could hope he would be. He's a little nimbly bimbly cat. He the prince tiny. that was promised. The prince that was promised, yeah. Uh, without the horrible last season. Uh, but we won't get into all that. But it's been a pretty interesting week in the world of the Ragnars. Um, we had... If, let's. I want to start off with something a little... That we've never done before, Tom. We had two Rangers have five-point games. Tony D'Angelo, who obviously had a hat trick against the Devils. And then, much more recently, uh, we had Panarin put up a five-point game against the Islanders. Both against rivals, which just adds a little extra spice, of course. But which game impressed you more, Tom? I would say Panarin's, just for the fact that it was against a better team. The Islanders are more... (laughs) The Devils are woefully bad this year. Yeah, I mean, the Islanders are more put together. They should be a playoff team. Obviously, never say never, given the way things are. And especially, you look at this division where you have uh, the Capitals up top, who they should be fine. And then you have the Penguins, who they just get Sidney Crosby back. And then you have the Islanders. And then you have a bunch of teams in the mix in the wild card, whether it's Carolina Hurricanes, the Philadelphia Flyers, maybe the Rangers at some point. Um, but really, all of these teams sort of fighting for a spot. But the Devils, they're not going to make the playoffs. I think we can confidently say that. So I, I would say Panarin's was more impressive, although obviously D'Angelo's was a situation where he tied a franchise record uh, for a five-point game by a defenseman, first hat-trick of his career. So obviously it's something that uh, was notable in in that regard. But what are your thoughts? I thought the D'Angelo one was fun just because he had, like I think it was three primary points in the first. And... It's so funny with his success this year. I'm just like, this is great. But really, you're really making it hard to keep your around, D'Angelo, because he's going to be raking in a contract that will be a problem one way or another for the Rangers in terms of they have to shell it out or they have to say, eh, we don't want to. But uh, I thought his game was great. Um, but the thing, I guess, I'll just side with, D'Angelo, he ended up with the second star of the week for the NHL, which, you know, it's not something I <laughs> consider to be terribly important, but it's fun. But the thing is with Panarin is how many games this season could he have had five points with how well he plays? Like Quite a few. Yeah, I forget I forget what the stat is, but uh, I think it was in Carp's piece today where he might already have 20 multi-point games, I think, which is just bonkers to me. 
Um, but yeah, I'm, I love I love seeing that from you know Rangers defenseman, uh, and I love the continued dominance and joy of uh, Artemi Panarin, the New York Ranger. Um, which I gotta say, Tom, it just doesn't get old how good Panarin is. It's it's this thing that is perpetually novel. Like it 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 always entertains me. It always makes me happy. Is just like, wow, look at him. <laughs> He just he did it again. Look how good he is! Like the the goal he scored on you know the quasi breakaway uh, against the Islanders, I was like, it might be because he was wearing number ten, but I was like, oh look, it's like it's like having Gabrick back, but he's better than Gabrick, you know. You um, know, I had that same thought. Yeah, but you I had was the thinking, I wasn't Gabrick. I was thinking of the brief time when they had Pavel Bure and just that oh, man. straight line speed going up the ice and you know just making his way to the net obviously um in this case Gabrick and and Bure I believe both left-handed and Panarin's right-handed so it's 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 more so the um the underlyings of it not the actual dynamics of it but yeah it was uh I, I just started laughing last night uh, as Panarin kept picking up points and it got to the point where, uh, my mom just walked down the hall and she's like, she's like, why are you cackling like a hyena? And I said, mom, you got to watch this. And she's like, she just gave me a look and then she just walked away. She just pet the top of your head. Like you're her special little guy, like an overgrown cabbage patch kid. And she gave you a popsicle. Pretty much. Said, That's nice, Tom. Um, yeah, I was just looking that was it? In his first, you know, Beret obviously played very briefly for the Rangers across two seasons. Um, but his first 12 games as a Ranger, Tom, 12 goals in 12 games for Pavel Bury. The next season, 19 goals in 39 games. Incredible. God, was he fun. Oh, it's injuries suck. It's like you look at all the players the Rangers have had in the history of their franchise and some of the names and... It, you just say to yourself, it's a shame they got them at the tail end of their career. It's a shame that they got them past their just past their prime. But when you do get a player just at the right moment, and obviously we hope this is the case with Panarin, it's really just fun to watch and, and, and see it continue. There's also a few cases of the Rangers having a guy uh, when he's a young guy and not really knowing what they have, or a guy who became something more um like two examples that always stand out to me uh are always obviously tony amante and mark savard was one of those like he went on to have a great career and of course technically you can say uh jonathan marshall's hope because yeah he was, jam yeah because he was what is it when the wolf pack were the connecticut whale that's uh, he right was, he was on the connecticut whale i believe just on an amateur contract so it wasn't technically a contract with the Rangers, but with the Rangers organization, I believe, is the way that worked out. But, yeah, that one slipped through the cracks, Tom. It was so frustrating, too, because with Tortorella as the coach, he would have been the perfect player because his nickname was literally Jam because he was Jonathan Audie Marcheseau. That's so right. He was He's perfect. Audie Marcheseau, yeah. You, couldn't, you can't write it up any better than that. Um, but, no, we... we this week uh, we should mention that we have a we're gonna have a, our first guest with you and I I think um, <laughs> with uh, CJ Chaturo who writes for 
all about the jersey. Um, he's a big analytics guy, uh, writes about the Devils. He also helps uh, kind of curate and establish evenstrength.com, which is an analytics site dedicated to the National Women's Hockey League, which is, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a giant, <laughs> it's in a desert, in the desert that is women ho- women's hockey analytics. It is a, you know, it is a school of learning. You know what I mean? It's it's a very special place. So, um, but no, we'll, we'll we'll talk to him after the break. But before we get there, Tom, we only had two games of Igor. Uh, what is his save after two games? I mean, small sample sizes, obviously. But is it nine twenty six? What was it? Igor Shishurkin. I will go into your old Google. Yeah, we're very prepared, folks. Don't let anything fool you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was from good. A, yeah. Oh, yeah. And more importantly, he looked good despite having two first periods where some, there were some early goals against him, which, you know, I, I watched. I wasn't. I was only able to watch the tail end of the first game, uh, but I listened on the radio and I heard that, you know, he had allowed a couple of goals early, and I was like, oh, well, maybe don't play him against Colorado, you masochistic, you know, you, you, know, you sadistical bastards. But. Uh, yeah, he, he looked great. Um, God, he looks quick. He looks like his glove hand is ridiculous. And the passes, Tom, the stick handling. When's the last time the Rangers had a goalie who could make a pass? So it so it was 926. You were correct. Yeah. So Mike's brain. You, you get a gold star. I prefer a cookie, but I'll take the gold star. Well, I'm thinking like, you know, in school, you know, like a gold star and for your, like your chart. Did you have that when you were... I like, remember in- that vaguely. I also remember in school there was a system. I may have told the story before on the podcast, but not for a long time. I think it was second grade. I had a, a teacher. Her name was Mrs. Von Romer. Uh, I'm sure I shouldn't say her real name, but that just happened. And the system was if you did something naughty, you would, your name would be written on the board. She wouldn't say anything. Like, she wouldn't say, hey, Mike, knock, knock that off. But you would just write, like, Mike M, because I was in a class with, like, 15 mics. Mm-hmm. Um, and one day, I was trying to talk to her. Um, it was, like, a break between periods or something. And a kid who I am now friends with cut, like, cut me in line to talk to her. And I don't know why I did this, but I just pointed both of my hands, like, double middle fingers right in the back of his head. <laughs> and she was facing me because he was talking to her and I was in line and I just like made an angry little face and double double finger blasted him with middle double fingers double birds and she she just like she didn't cover her mouth but she just went like oh, and she went up to the board and wrote my name and gave me a check mark and if you had you know your name and two check marks that means detention and that was the closest I ever came to detention before I eventually got detention. But uh. So I actually had a similar system in third grade. And um, my teacher's name, her name was Mrs. Reedy. And her Good system was... Name. So her system was... Um, so basically the way the ceiling was sort of set up is there was sort of like a lip where you could hang posters and things of that nature. Okay. And she had a name for everyone in the class, and she had uh, an envelope 
with three slits in it. So basically, if you did something and you got in trouble, you would get a ticket. And she's sort of, sort of like akin to like, okay, you know, if you're in your car and you're speeding, you get a ticket. Or if you're in your car driving and, you know, you run a stop sign and you get pulled over, you get a ticket. So the sort of like these infractions, you get tickets. And if you got three tickets within a certain span, yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if it was a week I or... I think ours, the check system might have been for the week, mm-hmm. which which I remember once it happened, I was like, well, shit, I better be an angel for the rest of the week. <laughs> I'm on Thursday Oh, yeah. Already. Yeah. So, yeah, I had that happen to me once where I got all three tickets and I had um, in, indoor recess and it was a, a writing assignment. So you had to... What did you like, do, Tom? I don't remember exactly, but I just remember that the writing assignment was harder in hindsight because I couldn't see because this was before I knew that I needed glasses. So it just felt like it was taking forever to, to finish. But how long, how long were you in school with blind without knowing you needed glasses? So I only started wearing glasses in third grade. It was one of those screenings. And the problem was I was getting in trouble for not doing homework because you couldn't read. No, I couldn't see the the side of the board where the homework was written. Oh, this is the saddest story I've ever heard. Yeah, I mean, if we want to get even sadder, because I had poor penmanship, uh, my parents gave me uh, penmanship books to work on during the summer, and they felt horribly once they realized that, no, it's not him. He literally can't see. So I made out like that. An animal is what you're telling me. Well, yeah, and, and once they once they found out that it wasn't just me being a delinquent, it was he he literally couldn't see. Uh, there there was there was some payback of oh we feel really sorry about this you know uh, here's like a, a PlayStation or like you know Nintendo game or something you know no hard feelings and I'm like exactly all right I, for your eyes yeah yeah <laughs> exactly yeah oh my gosh that is God I can just imagine your sweet little. You as a sweet little baby kid, just no. I, I'm trying, mom and dad. I can't see the homework. What were we talking about, Igor? Oh yeah, Igor. Um, yeah, he did. His Igor, homework. Igor, like like Winnie the Pooh's friend. Yeah, but Igor has been back to the Rangers. Igor has been great. Uh, the Rangers Twitter account is trolling the analytics community. And uh, what else happened, Tom? Uh, you know stuff obviously Igor's called up and now there's all these all these rumors about what happens with Alexander Georgiev and of course there's this you know a lot of people are like you know I've been I've been saying all year this is a good problem to have this is the sort of problem you want to have because you have something that several teams are saying give me that I want that and you get to say we don't have to do that Uh, the only risk the Rangers run here is upsetting one of their goalies specifically Shesterkin who has the you know if they are forced to put him back down in Hartford, he can say, I'm packing my bags, going to Russia. But I don't think we're going to get there. I think what we have now is a little carousel, little carousel of goalies. Yeah, and how they navigate that will be interesting because, and it's it's interesting timing as we record this, um, but I see a tweet. It was a, a TSN report um, sort of talking about the the Maple Leafs being thin on defense. But in this update, uh, Darren Dreger reports that while the Rangers will speak to Kreider, it is likely that he'll be dealt before the deadline. So that's another situation to uh, 
see how that all shakes out in, in addition to Gorgiev. We should mention Blue Banner has a new contributor, uh, Brianna Pontone. We're very, very excited about Brianna and, and the work she's going to bring to the site. And she started her first piece was, you know, kind of making a case for the Rangers keeping Kreider, which here's the thing, Tom. I just, why can't he be three years younger, you know? <laughs> That's my whole thing with Crides right now. Is why can't you be three years younger and a more consistent scorer? Uh, that would be great. Just like why couldn't the Rangers have Artemi Panarin like three or four years ago? Oh God, don't. Yeah. Oh God. Or have Jonathan Marchessault or or other guys they've let slip through the cracks, including uh, Kevin Shattenkirk, who's having a career resurgence in Tampa Bay. Funny how that works. Anyway. Um, Interesting we, you brought that up, though, because okay. it. I think, you know, like you had mentioned earlier, um, we're going to have a, a guest this week. Um, That's right, CJ. And I think some of those topics we're, we're going to talk about, so um, you Tom, wanted to do something. As if we recorded that part already. It's podcast magic. Yes, podcast magic. Uh, but before we go over to our guest and break that up with, a, with an ad break, um, I'm going to read off the names of... Our number one sponsors, Tom, our patrons, the people who make this podcast possible. Uh, you know, on di- weeks and days where I feel, uh, you know, like a sack of crap and don't have a lot of energy, I remember, no, uh, people care about the podcast and I rally and I always feel good after I do it because I know that, you know, it's it's a privilege to be, you know, to talk Rangers and have so many people listen and... We love getting questions from you guys, and we're deeply appreciative of all the support. So our patrons, the people we love a little bit more than everyone else. I mean, I also love friends and family, I guess, but the holiday season's over, so I don't have to pretend anymore. Adam Nahoek, Aiden Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andrew Chicago, Anthony Villa, Arch Williams, a new patron, Ben Perney. Hello, Ben. Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Captain America, Chris Abibi, Chris Lucas. And another new patron is Chris Marco Trigiano. Chris Marco Trigiano. Chris, I'm sorry. A Patreon uh, cut off your name because your name is that fantastic. Chris O'Connor, Clark Carroll, Craig Lachlan, Dana DeGen, Danny Santiago, David Elsinger, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence George Littman, Goth Tom 2020. Tom? The artist formerly known as I Can't Believe I Changed My Name for Joe has changed his name to Goth Tom 2020. I I just love it with all my heart. <laughs> I'm so happy. Igor Zaslavsky, James Dangles, Jermaine Francis, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Keith Franchillo, Kyle Napolitano, Michael Canick, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, Panerwin 2020, Patrick Landholt. Another new patron is... Perennial Powerhouse. It's a good name. Stieg Bjelbach, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Toy from Manhattan, Trevor Kempner, and Wotek Wolski. Another patron who changed their name to be a silly goose. I, I, I'm here for it. Wotek Wolski. I was a huge Wolski fan before the Rangers acquired him. And uh, I was very sad that things didn't work out for Wojtek Wolski. And obviously, I was a big fan of him primarily because of his name. I love that he had a different number. 86 was just, uh, it was something different. Yeah, I've always been a big fan of of guys with quirky numbers. I'm here for it. 
not like anyone wears 86 now or anyone of 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 notoriety yeah any cooch cooch rob like people oh i wanted to, this is a weird pet peeve of mine tom is there a number like a a number you see on, i think goalies can get away with a lot like goalies can wear goofy numbers what was it uh jose teodor wore is like 60 i think right mm-hmm. obviously holt beware is you know 70 um and what is it vasilevsky wears 88 what does he wear Vasilevsky, anyway. I think, is... He might be 80. But... He might be 80 or 88. I forget. Anyway, um, is there a number you've seen on a, on a jersey where you're just like, that is a terrible number. It looks bad. For whatever reason, whenever I see a skater with the number 29, I'm just like, ah. It just it gets in my craw. You were right about 88 for Vasilevsky. Oh, um, Mike, Mike remembers Shesterkin's save percentage. Mike knows Vasilevsky's number. Mike just needs to predict what the uh, the quick pick four numbers are going to be, and then then we'll be cooking with... Uh, I don't play the lottery, Tom. I only play with people's hearts. Well, um, I can't say that there's a number that sort of stands out. Um, I think one is like... Uh, for Miko Koskinen, I think he's wearing 19 for the Oilers. That's a weird fucking number for a goalie. That yeah, and it's weird. just like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, who do you think you are? That's the most disdain I've ever heard in your voice, and it makes me so happy. What the fuck are you doing? It is such a weird number for a goalie. Like, you're just drawing extra unneeded attention to yourself. Yeah, you can be, as a goalie, for me, you can be... The number one? Uh, what is it? I think Eddie Belf wore, wore 20. Someone wore 20. I can't remember who. Ah, and it's going to drive me crazy. Anyway, like you can have any number between, let's say, 20 and 40. Um, and then you can also have high random numbers, like, you know, Vasilevsky and Braden Holpe, what have you. But I think, like, Cristobal Huey was 50. Oh, that's right. Oh my God, Cristobal Huye. Look at that. That's a pull. That is a pull. That's a great pull. Son of a bitch. Oh, you know what's a fun, weird hockey thing? I, we keep delaying going to the ad. Is I'm sure you remember the goaltender David Abisher. Yes. Uh, apparently, there's been at least three different hockey players from Switzerland with the name David Abisher. You know, it's funny you bring that up because I felt like that was a thing because every time you go on Elite Prospects, it's you the way you have to type the name. Um, and it's like, is it this one you're looking for? Is it this one you're looking for? So, yeah, yeah. that's really strange. Yeah, there's a 19-year-old defenseman, David Abisher. Uh, there's the goaltender, David Abisher, obviously. And I thought there was another one. Or I might just no. I think it might just be those two, and I'm uh, I'm hallucinating. But yeah, I wonder if that's like a like a local thing. Like we have, all right. I'm John Smith, or yeah. you know, I'm Matt Brown. Is Abisher an incredibly common Swiss name, and is David a common Swiss you know first name? I don't know. Anyway, um, Tom, let's let's go to the ad and then go to our our interview with CJ Chaturo.
And we are back from our break. Uh, thanks for sticking around with us. And right now we are glad to be joined by a, a very smart guy in the, uh, I would say, like hockey Twitter, hockey analytics. Uh, his name is CJ Tertoro. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at CJT Devil. Uh, he's a contributor at the uh, New Jersey Devils uh, site, uh, all about the Jersey at SB Nation. And, uh, he has a lot of uh, interesting information. We, you know, Mike and I thought, you know, we want to have some cool guests on this show, and uh, figured we start with uh, CJ. CJ, uh, thanks for uh, joining us today. Thanks for giving me a billing that will be difficult to live up to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like to, you know, sort of, you know, build people up. You know, Tom, you called him a cool guy. I mean, yeah, I mean. I like to be a like a hype man, you know. It's 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 fun. Um, you now called me both smart and cool, and there's no way that I that I'm able to accomplish both of those things in this interview. Yeah, those things don't those things don't coexist, Tom. <laughs> so when Mike and I were talking about guests we wanted to bring on, we figured we want to start, you know, sort of um, people that sort of look at the teams within the Rangers division, the Metropolitan division, and we sort of had this idea of, of what we wanted to sort of ask you about, and then uh, the Ray Shiro firing happened, so I figure that's the best place to start. Um, the Devils obviously have this offseason, the, they draft Jack Hughes, they um, get Nikita Gusev, they get P.K. Subban, all of these different moves that, they've, that they make. It doesn't translate well, they fire John Hines, and now they've fired Ray Shiro. So I guess the mic is yours. Sort of what happened, um, and where does the team go from here? Yeah, so... The, the what happened, I mean, I could ramble about for the duration of this podcast if I wanted to, uh, but the long and short of it is that the owner, the ownership decided that they wanted to go in a fundamentally different direction than Ray Shiro was going. Uh, that generally seems to be what the consensus is among uh, reporting on the matter, that uh, I've seen it from... Uh, Darren Drager from uh, Elliot Friedman, even uh, Rachel Dory, an ex-Devils employee on the Staff and Graph podcast, uh, all of them kind of talked about the fact that the only reason to do this move when they're doing it is because there was a fundamental uh, divergence in the philosophies of management, a.k.a. Ray Shiro, and ownership, the Harris uh, Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. Um, the reason that it must have happened now is because I'm assuming their approach to the trade deadline must have been impacted by this decision because otherwise, man, the timing is just absolutely bizarre. We had, uh, you know, they let him make two franchise-altering moves in trading Taylor Hall, the only uh, player in franchise history to win a Hart Trophy, and firing a coach of five years that had just received an extension. And then they waited for the team to go on a hot streak, then fired him, or not fired him, but mutually parted ways with him in the middle of a back-to-back -back in which they had just beaten the best team in the league with the All-Star break coming up right before they go to Toronto, the biggest media company, the biggest media center in the NHL. So all of these things combined made it just a really bizarre situation that took all of us by surprise. Not necessarily that it happened. Most people seem to agree that it was going to happen, um, but the the timing of it was really bizarre. As to where we go from here, uh, it's it, you know it's going to be up to interim 
GM, uh, formerly the assistant GM, Tom Fitzgerald, to do what he thinks is right. But I'm assuming that his position kind of comes with caveats now. I mean, they just got rid of the previous GM. So obviously he knows that you know the ownership has this sort of expectation for what uh, what they plan on doing in the near future. And in their press conference, they said that they plan on competing in the near future. So I would expect that they won't be selling big pieces uh, that are not on not at the end of their deals, like, say, Kyle Palmieri. Uh, so I, I think they're going to try to you know, not go for it, but not uh, extend the re- restart the rebuild. I don't think they're starting fresh. I think they're going to pick up uh, and try to do a, a little bit of a retool on the go here. With the, so no, with the difference, Nico well, Heischer, Jack Hughes type thing, sort of. Yeah. They're going to sort of try and salvage what they have. Absolutely, I would I would expect that. I, I would be shocked if either Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes were to go anywhere anytime in the near future. They're they're locked in. the The more complicated questions are Kyle Palmieri, Blake Coleman, guys that are you know we have for two years as opposed to one year. Uh, what they think is going to happen with those my my expectation personally is that they're going to they're going to stay do you think the difference with ownership was an issue of spending money and save because i mean i don't know where where you stood cj on you know the devil's off season and you know all the hype surrounding it like i i thought the devils had a really interesting off season i was one of the people that like i didn't expect them to have these kind of you know issues i definitely didn't you know think that we'd still be you know i thought schneider was going to bounce back a little bit uh which obviously was not the case but i didn't think they'd be where they are right now you know i i thought it would be much more of a damned if you do damned if you don't situation with taylor hall as opposed to no, everything's kind of falling apart, and this is the only thing to do. You know, do you think with all the money that was spent in the off season, did that kind of force owner the ownership's hands with Shiro and you know the strategy that he brought in? Yeah, my impression isn't that it's as much the money that they were concerned with there. Although they do have you know a, a bit of a reputation as as you know being a little bit you know tight walleted. They uh. The, the thing that I'm expecting is that it was more about the uh, inconsistencies that they perceived in Shiro's long-term vision. Like, I think they probably interpreted his moves as not really going for it, but also not planning for the future, right? Like, he had a couple of quick moves. You guys are familiar with one of them in the, you know, the, the Grabner-Rykov deal uh, two years ago that he kind of went for it, Havsies, <laughs> in uh, 2018. Then he felt like he really kind of went for it this offseason, but at the same time, if you're really going for it, it's kind of inexcusable to have a goalie who's been one of the worst goalies in the NHL over the past three years, save for a small hot streak at the end of 2019, and a rookie who had a terrible AHL career but put together a good 20 games in the NHL in 2019 as your only goalie options. In a league that is, you know, that a goalie can make or break your season, to say you're quote-unquote going for it and not address the goaltending situation is pretty inexcusable. Um, So I think that they perceived his investments not necessarily as a uh, you know misplaced with regards to the money but misplaced with regards to the vision hmm I mean it's it's really interesting to me 
like I went to, what was it, on New Year's Eve, I went to Devils uh, Bruins, where the Devils won that game in the shootout, I believe. Um, and it was my first, uh, you know, real look at this year's Devils. And the thing that stood out to me was, oh my God, P.K. Subban looks slow. And the other one is like, that Jack Hughes kid is going to be okay, because I think both Rangers and Devils fans have a shared level of anxiety about I was like, like I was thinking about the the best way to put this. Uh, I feel like a either modest or underwhelming um, rookie season from the first and second overall picks thus far. I was wondering specifically, do you have any, you know, where do you stand on Jack Hughes and and what you've seen so far? I mean, I the skill is obviously all there. I just think he's, you know, who is he playing with? I guess is a good question to ask that I haven't looked into. Yeah, so uh, they've tried early on. Hines really had a hard time experimenting with a lot of our young talent. He was trying the different guys in a lot of different positions. Uh, he had a hard time with you know Jesper Boquist, uh, Jack Hughes, Jesper Brat, Nikita Gusev. All these guys are big talent forwards, but were defensive liabilities, and he just couldn't find something early on that would click that would allow us to get those guys in positions where they were likely to succeed, which for all those guys that I just mentioned is most likely the offensive zone. Um, So he really needed to find ways to maximize the skills of each of those players. With Jesper Bratt, it was that he just needed to be put with skill guys that would push the play. With Nikita Gusev, he needed guys that would mask his defensive liabilities, which ended up being Blake Coleman and Travis Sajak, which has been an amazing line uh, recently. And with Hughes, it honestly just kind of seemed like he needed a little bit of time to figure things out because he's... Uh, his impact numbers have been decently positive uh, on in both the offensive and defensive ends. If I'm looking at like the the hockey viz results from uh, Micah McCurdy, and I think uh, this is off the top of my head now. I don't have all of the metrics memorized, but I think his RAPMs from Evolving Hockey were were pretty good as well. Um, so yeah, I'm not particularly concerned with his. Uh, impact long term, and if you watch him, he's you know, he's the thing that is most obvious to me visually about his game is that he's he thinks so fast on the ice in the offensive zone. He's always making these skip passes that are one touch across the ice that I didn't even see, and I have a bird's eye view. So the fact that he's yeah. able to see them is just mind blowing to me. Uh, so I'm really not concerned about him long term at all. I'm interested about what you guys are feeling about Kako, because he's had a little bit more uncertain uh, start to the season where he's, you know, his his offense is a little bit more obvious. His point totals are almost exactly the same as Jack Hughes, if I remember right. But his impact numbers are... Oh, those numbers, really CJ. Those numbers. <laughs> Ugly numbers. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah. So, your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll, I'll start, Tom. So, it definitely doesn't help... Uh, sweet little Capo Caco that um, he's playing with, I would just say, bad line mates, uh, you know, to be, you know, just as a overall summary of, you know, what he's been playing with and around. It's I think there is, there's the, the growing narrative now is that there's a confidence issue with him, which seems like it does hold water just because you can see, you know, he's a kid. Uh, he's obviously incredibly skilled. He had the success he had against men in the Liga. And you watch him play and you say, like, all right, there's talent there. The way he 
you know, protects the puck, the sort of passes he can make, especially in the power play. But the thing is, like, outside of the power play, it's it's really rough, and, and the, the numbers are just brutal. And I think a lot of that has to do with the confidence issue. Like, I think a lot of fans have a hard time wrapping their head around the fact that not only do these kids have to adjust to the NHL game, you know, at bigger, stronger, faster competitors and peers, but also someone like Capo Caco has to adjust to the North American game. You know, he has to adjust to a smaller rink and, and all these other factors. Like, I'm not concerned by any stretch. I will be officially concerned if this persists into year two, uh, just because his, you know, his projected ceiling was so high. So for us to not get any closer, like not take a couple steps up the ladder towards what we want and really need him to be would be incredibly alarming. I think it's maybe the best thing in the world for Capo Caco is that Panarin has been a grand slam in terms of, you know, where the spotlight is in New York. Um, like if the Rangers didn't sign Panarin in free agency and this was the the Capo Caco New York Rangers instead of the Artemi Panera New York Rangers, things would be a lot different right now. Yeah, I mean, to sort of follow up on that, I think Ranger fans in general, um, it's this concept of they're in the middle of a build, rebuild, the terminology changes, you know, depending on who you talk to. And there's this... Um, I guess the best way to describe it, it's this this general uneasiness of will these players, you know, pan out to the the way that that they're supposed to. I think that was the initial feeling when uh, we all found out that Igor Shishyorkin was going to make his NHL debut against the Colorado Avalanche. This is a guy who's been built up uh, as this you know, great goalie uh, in the KHL, hot start in Hartford. Is he going to be able to? look like he belongs at the NHL level. Obviously, he's only played two games so far, and you can't really draw anything from that. But then there's the uneasiness of, okay, Kravtsov was here, and then he went back to Russia, and he came here. And then there's obviously the Lee Sanderson situation, um, how things were with, with Heedle when he first started with the team. So when it comes to Capo Caco, it's... I think the expectations from fans were a lot. And I, I know that there was a lot of banter, um, especially, you know, amongst Ranger fans and Devil fans. It's like, oh, you know, Capo Caco played against men in Finland and, you know, Jack Hughes played, you know, and, you know, the U.S. development team. And against toddlers of, and, and vagrants and hobos. Yeah, it was like this, this sort of thing building up. And I, I think... Uh, when Hughes, you know, obviously he's drafted over number one overall. And then Katko's thing was, you know, he wants to set out to prove New Jersey wrong, you know. And I think a lot of number two picks are, are sort of like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say Kako has – he's had his ups and his downs. I think a lot of his downs are from his, you know, first 10 or 12 games or so. Um I think uh, Hockey Stat Miner had posted a chart going back, just sort of looking at his progression uh, in terms of uh, you know his underlyings as the time has gone on, and I'll be interested to see how he does the rest of the season. I'll be interested to see 
how his conditioning is because I know a couple of things that people have pointed out is that he doesn't look as fast and as dynamic as he did last year. Um, and part of it could be that he's played a lot of hockey. He played all of last year. He played in world championships. Um, and then, you know, he played in, in the preseason and he's just straight to the NHL. So it's sort of like a lot, but I, I I'm very hopeful and I'm not going to get too upset over the results of an 18 year old when, you know, I'm 27 years old and I really haven't amounted to much yet. So <laughs> I just try to put things in perspective. Yeah. So I think the, so a couple things about that. Um, I guess first is the, um, I, I just checked quick and uh, Jack Hughes has negative um, impacts in some of the RP, RAPM metrics, positive and expected goals, negative and expected goals against, and on hockey viz from uh, Micah McCurdy, uh, he's a plus seven danger percentage or plus seven threat percentage and uh, about an even defensive uh, threat percentage. So he's positive offensively uh, and either neutral or negative defensively, depending on where you look. Um and then to come back to a couple of things that you were talking about, um, so I, I hear a lot of the same things with you guys talking about with Kako as uh, I was talking about with Nikita Gusev. You know, they're coming over from a, a you know a different ice, the uh, or a dip, not but a you know an entirely different league. Um, so there's an obvious adjustment that would need to be made for Nikita Gusev. The impact seemed to be mostly on his defensive game. Um, I don't. Uh, if, if I'm remembering right, if things have stayed the same since the beginning of the year, then Kako's worst uh, aspect of his impacts was the defensive end as well. So it sounds like there could be a little bit of uh, similarity between the Gusev and uh, Kako transition into the NHL game, but Kako also has to transition ju- just for, you know from being a younger player uh, playing in the, the NHL here so that's he's got a couple of things fighting against him but i think i don't know the line situation but with nikita gusev they needed to find the right line for him and that did a lot of work i, I wonder if there's some experimentation if we'll see the same thing with kako and then the uh, the last thing i was going to say was you were talking about uh uh you know sterkin and uh did either of you guys see the what uh, me get into it over the summer with ranger fans about any of that stuff where like the prospects or the off seasons that the respective teams it's had it's funny you say that cj <laughs> cuz tom you, ju- you jumped the guy do you know what a pungy pit is cj are you aware <laughs> i'm i'm, I'm All right, well a pungy pit is a terrible invention of humankind where you put a bunch of leaves over a hole and in this hole like let's say you make it a square um, and in the, in the walls and the floor of the hole, you stab sharpened sticks into it. And they're all pointing up towards whatever, you know, gravity will do the work. You step on the punji pit, and then you fall, and you're impaled by a bunch of little sticks. Tom had a horrible plan with our lovely guest to ask you about... I think Tom even pulled up the tweet. Didn't you, Tom? I, I do have... The Tom, tweet, you're a bad person. Remember- you call him a cool guy... <laughs> And you, you're trying to bamboozle. I don't, I don't stand for it. I won't. So it's twofold because I remember this situation very well because I was reading it while I was eating dinner um, ahead of a, a John Mayer concert in July. And I'm sort of looking Jeez, at name this. Drop winner, you know, Jesus Christ. I mean, it was what I was Best friends with John Mayer? So what is that related I'm, to our story? I want to hear why you're building a punch. I'm, add, I'm adding color, Mike. To sort of 
to, to let me bring it up. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So the tweet was, I was worried for a bit that the Rangers were going to be annoyingly reasonable, patient, and smart in their rebuild. I can see now I was worried about nothing. I don't see them winning in the next three seasons, and these will all be bad deals in four years. So, obviously, Rangers Twitter, being what it is, overreacted, uh, and, you know, a bunch of people started no. replying. Rangers Twitter? And... No, yeah, of course, they're the most reasonable uh in, in, in all of the, the galaxy. Um, so when I read this, I was sort of like, you know, okay, is this like a Devils fan just sort of stirring things up? But I, as I was, you know, thinking about it more, um, I don't think this was as um, inflammatory as you meant it to come off because obviously where the Rangers were in their build, it was very early. And anytime you're signing two players to massive contracts when you don't even know what the rest of the roster is going to shape up to. It's sort of putting the cart before the horse. Um, so before I, I give you uh, a chance to respond, I think Mike wants to add something in. Yeah, I just want to point out when, when Tom showed me this tweet, I was like, yeah, it doesn't seem that unreasonable to me. Um, especially if we, like I asked Tom, like how do we define winning? To me, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean the cup, but you become, you know, a team. Uh, the way I always phrase it to myself and when I think about this, when I write and do some research, you know, and, and look at numbers and stuff, it's like, can you get past the first round of the playoffs? Like, getting in the playoffs is one thing, but can you win a round of the playoffs? That's what a winning team really looks like to me, for especially a team that's trying to set that, you know, set that bar for where they need to end up after a rebuilder a clear sign of progress that you've taken the next step. And looking at this, I was like, you can't pretend the Truba deal wasn't an overpayment in terms of, you know, how much the Rangers gave him, um, especially now. And I'll say this, Artemi Panarin is the best skater the Rangers have had since Yarmar Yager, which I don't think is any, a shocking statement. And you're really the best player in his prime, the Rangers have had since Lundqvist in his prime, but he has the second highest cap hit behind Connor McDavid, and he's a winger. I don't think this is that crazy of a take. Like taking up nearly twelve million in, in twelve million in cap, and like I know that's what you have to pay if you wanna if you wanna land someone like Panarin, but I didn't really have that much of an issue with uh, CJ's tweet. Just saying. All right, so I, I can successfully you've successfully convinced me to direct all of my ire towards Tom. All right, and I have I've forgiven you. Oh, good. Like I, this is <laughs> uh, all right. Now so the the fun thing about me in my coverage over the summer was that I honestly didn't even know which tweet you were going to talk about because I got into it <laughs> multiple times. You were just cooking up hot spice. I didn't know if you were going to go at me about the prospects one, where like the the, the prospect rankings one, where I, I put like you know the the weird SpongeBob font, you know, alternating capital lowercase about the uh, Rangers having the best prospect pool, and then Tierney's uh, Sean Tierney's rankings of them like in the middle of the NHL. So we can come back to that one in a second. I'll focus on one. Uh, Certainly, f focus on one Rangers-based controversy at a time. Um, so yeah, this this one in the off season was mostly about 
uh, so I remember the the letter to the fans. I remember uh, tearing down even with a couple of trades that uh, I'm sure wouldn't have been popular uh, among fans that seemed like just re- you know really drastic moves. And I was concerned that they were doing the rebuild the right way would be really terrible for like you know three four years because it's how long it takes to build a team from the ground up. Um, and the reason that I put in the tweet was because I don't first of all. Um, one of the few things that I do agree with Shiro, Ray Shiro about is that I think it's tough to build teams through free agency because of a few reasons. One, you're normally in bidding wars, which means that you're seldom getting good deals through free agency. Uh, two, you are getting a player that has never played on your team in your system before, so you don't. there's always unknowns that you can't predict, right? Um, and three is generally if you're in free agency, that means that what we know about aging curves in hockey, you're probably past your peak uh, in your aging curve. Uh, For forwards, uh, my aging curve research had it as even younger than some of what's been out there, Uh, but most people have it from 23 and maybe even earlier. Uh, Mine had it uh, just under 22 as the peak. Um, So the, the... generally building a team through free agency is going to be difficult and yeah listen if you go back in my tweet history i was i was i loved panarin before it was cool to love panarin right i i was a huge panarin fan and i was still when he was heading into free agency but then when the evolving wild twins did their contract projections and i saw that it was you know 11 point whatever million that they were projecting i was like "Ah, man i can't imagine like I love this guy more than most people I know, and I still wouldn't pay him that much, uh, because this being a winger, being uh, you know, being past what I consider to be peak uh, uh, efficiency age, there's just no way he lives up to that by year like you know four or five. Now he's been everything that you guys could hope for, and I even tweeted the other day about he's on a pace to either to, to be right there with Yager for the highest point total in franchise history. So I think he's been every bit that you could hope for, but th- by the time the Rangers will be ready to compete, which I don't know what you guys think, my impression was that they would be going for it in maybe three years. Uh, by that time, the Truba and Panarin deals will... Maybe Panarin will still be there. I, there's no way Truba's there. Truba, I didn't think, was a good deal when, like, for this year, let alone for in, you know, three, four years. So I think that it would... By the time that I was expecting the Rangers to compete, it will handcuff them from a salary standpoint. Um, so that's my justification for, for that tweet, for, for the time being. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, 100%... Uh, fair and I it's sort of for me it's the way I I look at things is when you're in the middle of a rebuild you obviously want to take it as slow as possible Um, but when players become available it's almost like the situation of okay well Panarin was available obviously he cost them a great deal of money and like you said he's doing great this year but it all depends on how he evolves over the the life of 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 the contract um and it's to me it's and this is sort of when i was looking at the pros and cons of signing someone like panarin i was also looking at the pros and cons of trading for someone like gusev who um is you know same age as panarin was not going to command as much money as much term but then i kept saying to myself is okay so if the rangers they stay the course they don't do anything in free agency this past summer 
they don't do anything in free agency this summer. It's almost like you're in this perpetual state of affairs where you're building for something, building for something. You eventually need to, um, you know, put your toe in the water and, and, and see what the temperature is. And I think we've seen at times before teams that they spend in free agency, you know, okay, I'm going to sign this guy for $6 million, $6.5 million, you know, you name it. Uh, are you worse doing something like that than actually ponying up for someone who is, you know, a bona fide elite player? Obviously, time will tell. And I, I think that how the Rangers approach this trade deadline is going to be very important because I think they have the opportunity to sell high on some assets, create even more salary room. Um, and then you pretty much have a roster where you have some quality young players, you have Panarin, and then you have the ability, maybe you have a low draft pick uh, in the first round. Maybe you have another low pick in, in, in the later part of the round um, and add to that to that pool. But um, yeah, it, it's definitely going to be interesting and I can totally see why there would be skepticism of, okay, they're ready to, to sort of moving forward because my personal um, timeline is it's constantly moving a little bit further than you were the year before. This year was, okay, are, are some of the players learning from the mistakes they made last year? How are they onboarding some of the new players in the system? Where next year it's like, okay, we want to have a roster where we can push for a wild card spot without having to make a trade. And then the year after that, that's where the goal is to make the playoffs. And then obviously once you get into the playoffs, anything really can happen. Mike, I just have a lot of thoughts. Very few of them are positive. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me, you know, looking at everything that happened. Like if I had my druthers, I would have, you know, stood by, uh, you know, letting Kevin Shattenkirk be, you know, what Jacob Truba became because you, the Rangers had to pay to make that go away, which just seems, you know, I know we have deep pockets, but it just seems like a bad business decision. And I think the success he's found in Tampa speaks volumes about, you know, what sort of asset management that was. Um, but no, I, I don't think it's like, it's, it's really interesting to look at the moves the Rangers have made. And now, you know, the moves that the Devils in turn will start to make because it's almost like, you know, this off season might be looked at as something as like a false start or something like the Devils were a little maybe premature about, you know, figuring out, you know, what sort of team they were and thinking they were a playoff team and all that. But like, I don't blame them for, you know, for reaching for the brass ring. I think, you know, looking at what, where the Rangers are, I do, I, I can't help but fault, like, find fault in some of the decisions they've made with personnel. The, you know, I, I, I know I've said this recently in the last couple of shows. I don't know why people aren't making a bigger deal of, uh, just the Rangers just giving up on finding, you know, any sort of trade value for Vlad Domestikov. They had a guy who had tremendous trade value when they, when they picked him up. Um, and, and, you know, in that, McDonough blockbuster that's continued to age poorly and they just gave him up for nothing. And looking at this team now, 
and the log jam on the right side. And, you know, you have Jacob Truba signed for 8 million through 2026 and he's 25 this year. Like it's, you know, it can be, you can see things becoming a problem again. It's, it will make, it will make contracts for some of these other guys. Like it just, every time you make a move like this, you really reduce the amount of error and mistakes you're, you're allowed to get away with, especially like it's the salary cap error. You can't, you can't throw 20 million in cap space in it in around in the off season and do it without really, really, really planning ahead, which is interesting to me because the Rangers had so much depth in the prospect pipeline down the right side. And I know they desperately wanted to address, you know, what they, what they were able to do with that, you know, that option to finally fill in that right side defenseman for the top pair that this team has been searching for. It seems like, I don't know, Tom, what would you say? Like 20 years that they've been, there's been a lack of uh, satisfaction, you know, since Dan Girardi was briefly in his prime. Um, But yeah, it's really interesting to see where the Rangers are. Um, I'm, I don't know. I'm sure there will be a lot of Rangers fans that have, you know, roll their eyes, but I don't think anything CJ tweeted was ridiculous. Like the, even the like the the tweet you said. Well, no, the um, but even anyway, like right? you know, poking fun at the the prospect rankings of the Rangers, like goalies and and D, the Rangers are great. But what do the Rangers have in the prospect pool down the wing and down the middle? Like, and this is even before Leah Anderson left the team. Like this. With in terms of like scoring wingers and uh, forwards with offensive upside, there really was not a lot. Like Laurie Pajuniemi is a you know fifth or sixth round pick that has become a legitimate goal scorer in Liga this year. But he's, I mean, after the obvious guys, is he the most compelling guy, Tom? I mean, the Rangers have a lot of work to do to add to that prospect pool for forwards. Like I really like Henrik Carlson. Um, I mean, what Carl Henriksen, I mean, um, I always do that in my head, by the way, the Swedish names, but yeah, I, I, I'm not that, I want more. I want, cause I want a couple more magic beans before I feel like we have enough, you know, bean sprouts to get to where we got to go. Yeah. I mean, I would say outside of those names, you obviously throw in crafts off um, and then Morgan Barron, who's played very well at Cornell, but yeah, it's like anything else, it's potential and players have to actualize it. But yeah, I mean, I, I think process it's whenever you look at prospect rankings, it's everyone looks at things differently. And we even see that when it comes to the draft where it's, all these years later, it's like, wow, how did this player go undrafted? How did this player last to the second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, and so on and so forth. And then again, you have people, man, why did they select them in the first round overall? Um, so it's, it's, I can definitely agree um, with, with the concept of, of, you look at rankings and it's, it's, it's subjective and it's people have different opinions, but it's, it's fun. I mean, isn't that the point of Twitter just to sort of argue and, 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 you know, banter? I don't about? know what the point of Twitter is truth be told, but I do know that, you know, two guys who I think everyone would put their top five prospects for the Rangers in September, uh, Leah Sanderson and Vitaly Kravtsov, both of their stocks 
as prospects have crashed like significantly since then. And you could say, you know, some of the, I think it's alarmist, the reactions to where Keandre Miller is right now. I, I don't think his stock has crashed by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think his stock has exactly, you know, continued its dramatic, uh, you know, in, incline as opposed to decline. So, yeah, so you guys pretty much hit on the, the, the point of that original tweet, right, which was, I mean, I obviously phrased it in as needlessly provocative a manner as possible because, as you were saying, getting into debates is what Twitter's all about. Um, that, uh, yeah, and you guys weren't the only ones I was doing this with. I called Claude Giroux not a superstar, and that got the Flyers fans all pissed at me, so that was fun, too. I did this a bunch of times over the summer. I was really bored over the summer, I guess, <laughs> so I kept doing this repeatedly. Um but yeah, so my main problem here with, uh, I mean, listen, pretty much every source that I found had the Rangers as the number one prospect pipeline. And then people kept posting these sources as refutations of my opinion, which is that their pos prospect pipeline is overrated. So if anything, this is like, like my point is that everyone thinks too highly of them. So you showing me another person ranking them number one isn't going to convince me otherwise. And the reason that I thought what I thought is pretty much what you guys just said, honestly, which is that, uh, and I'll add a little bit of flavor to it, which is that the easiest people to predict, and I think the most important place to have elite skill is the forward position, uh, specifically the center position, but but a forwards in general, and. I mean, right up until Kako, they had just very little elite talent at that position. I thought that they had probably one of, uh, if not the best, uh, defensive pipeline. Um, I was an Adam Fox fan. I thought he was going to be about what Will Butcher was. It looks like he might even be a little bit better. Um, you guys can flavor that however you want. I don't. You, he you has know, a worse Adam, than me. But Adam Fox has a great name. Of the, uh, not as good as the name as Will Butcher is my <laughs> ultimate analysis. But I do think Fox is. <laughs> just better than where Butcher agreed, is right agreed. now. Um, but again, I think, you know, Fox recently broke a goal streak, but all of his underlying numbers are really encouraging. And I don't know, like in Traverse City, he just looked like, you know, he was a pro playing, you know, a bunch of like Division three college players. He was just unbelievable. I really like where he's headed. But again, you know, he's not... The thing with those NCAA guys, it's like, yeah, he's... He's young, but he's not 19 or 18. So, like, where exactly is he going to be? Like, what, how much more room is there to grow is what I always wonder. But if we only ever get a little bit better version of Adam Fox than we have now, I still think, you know, he was a pretty good gamble. Yeah, so my, my concern with Will Butcher was actually somewhat the same, is that I I think it's not at all out of the realm of possibility that Will Butcher's best season in the NHL was as a rookie. Um, uh, he, I mean, he was one of the m most... He was one of the strongest analytical Devils defenders and has been since he's been here. Uh, but the, there's reason to believe he would he's he can't handle the uh, you know the top pairing or even maybe even top four uh, responsibilities. He looks like he's kind of settled into a second pairing role more often than not uh, this year, even maybe in the third pairing. But yeah, so to continue that line of thought was that I thought that the Rangers had, you know, one of, if not the best defensive pipeline and the wild card here, which I also said this in somewhere in the responses. I wouldn't, I, I couldn't track it down right now, but I said somewhere in the, in the conversation following that tweet that the goaltenders could 
regardless make this tweet look stupid by themselves, right? Uh, the but but the problem with that is that goaltending is it's so a crapshoot. It's always been a like, crapshoot. It's certainly possible that Shesterkin, you know, yeah, analyzing goalies continues to right? be this. He, it's so fascinating to me. I think about this all the time for a sport where it's just it's so important the position of goaltending, right? That's it's the most important position on the ice by a mile. And it's what can get coaches hired and fired. It's, you know, what will get in. Yeah, that's a very good point, exactly. Um, but also, you know, it's what sometimes it's like, look at Jordan Bennington and the Blues. Like, you know, a lot of people point to what Craig Berube was able to do. But obviously, how much did goaltending change the fate of that team? It was night and day. It's crazy. Um, but like looking at, the goalies can be the great equalizer, which has been, as I'm sure both both Rangers and Devils fans and followers know, with you know some of the historic goaltenders and you know in the past twenty years that have been a part of both these franchises, two of the best ever with Lundqvist and Brodeur. But it's so hard to figure out what the hell you're going to get with a goaltending prospect. Like the early showings for Shesterkin are great, but again, he's not a kid. He's a guy who's you know in his early twenties. And he was really established in the KHL, albeit on a good team. Um, I don't know. I know we're in the middle of discussion now, but I'm really curious to what you think is the next step for the Devils in the blue paint, because it seems like that is a, like, I was, I was really interested in Blackwood at first. I thought there might be something there, but, you know, a closer look at what was going on there. And I, I, I was like, oh boy, I, <laughs> like, I wanted to think that things are going to get better for the Devils in the crease, but yeah, I have concerns. No, I, I am one of those... Uh, Stop lying pe- to the people. People <laughs> always roll their eyes when they, when they hear this, but I've just been covering hockey too long. that Like, I'm a Rangers fan, but I I just... I don't... My passion doesn't burn as hot. I just like stories. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, for what it's worth, I actually feel somewhat the same about uh, Nolan Patrick's story for the for the Flyers, is that, you know... Uh, as a Devils fan, I should want him to be terrible because I want us to have made the right decision in Nico Heischer, which early on it looks like we have. But, um, I mean, he's got some really strong underlying numbers. I like him as a player. I, I I hope that we're able to get a full career out of him. And the fact that it looks it's it's looking a less and less certain that that will happen is, is, is not yeah. uh, something that makes me happy. So, for whatever it's worth, I'm similar to you uh in in that respect so uh to answer your question about the devil's goaltending position um i think the 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 trade deadline might actually give us a little bit of information about that i think what ownership thinks the trajectory is and the pace of the improvement is going to dictate what type of solution they look for in the crease i mean if you just look at the unrestricted free agents, you know, there's guys that could do, that could be patch jobs, right? Like off the top of my head, I think, uh, Yaroslav Halak is a restricted free agent in the off season. He's, I don't know, 34 or something like that. But if you wanted to give him a lot of money for a short term deal, just to be there with Mackenzie Blackwood to ease, uh, ease his suffering, then that's a, you know, that's a patch job that might work. Um, I would guess that the Blackhawks are probably going to try to re-sign Robin Leonard, but 
If not, then he's 28 and he's been one of the best goalies in the NHL for the last few years. So you, I would give him a lot of money. Hey, we have a we have a surplus of goalies, CJ. Have you heard? Lindsey Blackwood. <laughs> I, I have heard, but I feel like you're going to poison one you know of them what? and then send them over to the us. Michael like Grabner Michael trade. Grabner, so I don't, was, I don't trust that. We were all. I was just like thrilled that the Rangers got the return they got because he, Grabner was so fun to watch. It's just he's just so goddamn fast, but. Like, looking at everything else, it's just like, yeah, he's just so fast and shooting 25 28%, but you know what? God damn it, is he fun. Yeah. It was beautiful, because, like, you know, what is, as, as you know, you know, from the work that uh, you helped do at evenstrength.com, like, uh, you know, the work I do with, uh, you know, women's hockey and looking at, I make a point to tally empty net goals when I, because there's just no stats whatsoever for women's hockey. And whenever I see a suspicious shooting percentage, I'm like, how many of these goals are empty netters? Oh, okay. It exists everywhere. And there's just a couple of players who just have that gift. It's like, net's empty? I'm on the ice. Is it my shift? I don't know. I'm on. Yeah, so I mean, we, and at some point, uh, towards the tail end of, the, of this, as I'm heading out, if you want to you know, talk briefly about the, you know, the, the women's game release contributions, there are plugevenstrength.com, then we can do that. Um, but, the, and, you know, thank you for all that you do. The reason that I got involved in evenstrength.com in the first place was because I saw your talk at Rochester. So oh, boy. Quickly. That's very kind. Thank you for what you've done there. I'm not good with yeah. praise. I'm, more, <laughs> I'm better at describing plungy pits. So. I mean, th- listen, I started off this podcast by being called smart and cool. So, uh, once again, you're in good company. <laughs> um. So, yeah, the... Uh, I didn't, you know, round out the the talk briefly about the Devil's Crease situation because I talked about, you know, the unrestricted free agents. But the, the the reason I'm talking about unrestricted free agents is because uh, the Devils have just nothing in the system. I mean, they had to go out and get Louis Domingue as a, someone to even help in the AHL, right? Corey Schneider was struggling in the AHL. These all of the goalies that we had there, right? We have our most encouraging goaltending prospect is probably Akira Schmid, and we know just nothing about what he's going to translate into. So, I mean, listen, I wrote three years ago now, literally three years ago, that Corey Schneider was going to become a liability soon, probably. Then I wrote two years ago that the whole Devils goaltending pipeline was turning into a problem. This was, uh, at the time, Corey Snyder was still struggling, Keith Kincaid was struggling, and Mackenzie Blackwood was doing awful in the AHL. So I, it, it, this is what happens when you fail to address the most important position in hockey for a half a decade, right? This is, yeah, it's not a surprise we end up here when uh, result of that, you know, that, that uh, isn't, is something that the organization addressed through the draft. Yeah, and, the, and also one other thing that I wanted to quickly say about the this kind of ties together some of the stuff that we've been talking about as loose threads was that i the reason for the first tweet that we were talking about uh and some of what i had said immediately after was that i felt the rangers were headed towards a very similar stretch of years as the one that you guys just got out of because with investing the big money in players who are currently, you know, 28, 27-ish, um, and having a really good goalie, I expect that the team will have a sustained period of maybe playoff contention and never really a cup, like a, a, a legitimate shot at the cup. Um, and if, if anything, even less of a shot at the cup than the previous uh, era had had. Uh, cause I, 
I think a little bit longer time of being bad would have led to a much better shot at being absolutely elite, especially with the goaltending that you guys have. I certainly hope they they get to a point where they can at least have some consistency year over year because it's I would say that the short of end of them being contenders it will it was frustrating um i mean i i had said this going back i had thought after the rangers had lost to the ottawa senators in the playoffs yeah that was a brutal loss that one to me was the all right well clearly it's not working anymore like it's not enough that's the thing is you have henrik lundquist and you you wasted him and the sooner we address the mistake and, and how the team is inherently flawed, the sooner we get to hopefully not squandering the next Henrik Lindquist or whatever position he might fill. In this case, maybe Capocacco, who knows? Well, this became hopefully. a very downer podcast, but I'm very glad you were able to join us, CJ, and spend... I mean, you you framed this to me in yeah. in Twitter as we will commiserate together about our mutual sufferings. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I want to ask you really quick. What, what do you think the Devils do with the trade line? Is it trade deadline? Is it everyone who's not nailed down is is moved? Is that the impression? Uh, so my so my impression again is that the guys that are on more than one that the guys have have more than one year left in their contract. I think that they'll probably stick around uh i wouldn't be absolutely floored if they they moved one of those guys i i don't want to see them try to move kyle palmieri or blake coleman one of those kind of guys uh i would expect that my article coming out tomorrow on all about the jersey actually is going to be that sammy vatanen should be at the absolute top of their trade list and i expect that uh they'll probably look to move him might look to move Andy Green as uh, you know a very reliable uh, stay-at-home defender who's one, been one of the best penalty killers in the NHL uh, over the course of his career um, and has some leadership accolades being the captain of the team. And uh, maybe Wayne Simmons, who's a net-mouth presence, uh, also a big character guy, physical presence. The, all of these are types of things that you like to be able to advertise at the trade deadline, kind of like how the Devils yeah. last year moved Brian Boyle at the dead, at the deadline for much more than he was actually. Those intangibles, yeah. Just but, yeah teams convince themselves they need they, what do they, they need? need heading into Grit. The they need a guy who can be on the power play. They need a physical guy. They need a leader, someone who's been in the playoffs before. All those things that don't necessarily improve your odds of winning a hockey game. But yeah. Um, exactly. So I think the, I think those guys are the types of ones uh, that they'll look to move um, at at the deadline. I, I and I hope and I expect that they won't move uh, anyone that's locked in for longer than this year, except maybe Travis Sajak. Right, but cool. I, Tom, did you have anything else for CJ? We're going to wrap wrap up. We we already took up fifty minutes of your time, so thank you very much. Yeah, that was the uh, that was pretty much it. He's you know. Definitely, thank you very much for uh, all the time that you gave us. Um, you know, like I said, uh, you know, enjoy the the work that that you do. Um, a lot of the different elements that you sort of look at, even not just from you know New Jersey Devils perspective, um, but in terms of looking at age curves and and things of all that nature. Uh, it's always cool to look at things in. Uh, different perspectives and i hope that some of our 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 listeners will check out some of your work even though that you know you you do stuff looking at the devils but you are certainly a cool dude too 
Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. And just like that, and just like we're that, back. we're back. I think that was a good interview with CJ. Uh, what do you think? I think uh, a lot of interesting information. Uh, I think it was good to be mad at me because I'm a very genial person, and uh, you didn't like... want to disagree. I mean, no. you're a nice person. I'm a nice person, but here's the thing: I don't think anything he said was crazy. Tough. I mean, I get that he was going to... He was going for... Well, let me put it this way. He was an agent provocateur, and that's fine. Yeah. That and is the last lo- thing I want to do on Twitter. I I hate conflict on Twitter. Like, I just... On Twitter? I just hate conflict in general. Yeah. But that's not a bad thing. You're a very nice person, Except and you... for when I go to the, the old, uh, the red light district, and I go to the underground knife fight rings, that's the only conflict I like. I mean, I'm sort of like you, not in that respect, but I don't try and rock the boat unnecessarily. Um, You're in it for the lulls, Tom. You post funny things. Yeah, I, I try to make people laugh. I try to, you know, give people a smile, and, uh... But yeah, it's the thing about it, and I don't want to say this is a generational thing, um, because I would say that the thing about Twitter is you have a lot of interactions with people, and you develop friendships, or you develop relationships just as a a broad level of um, discourse. And when you meet some people in real life, it's like, you know what, this person is not that bad, or you have a, a conversation with them and you're able to actually have a person speak beyond 140 you know, characters and you can banter back and forth and you can like, you know what, this person's, you know, sort of like me or, you know, this person, you know, they have other interests, but you don't get that if all you do is you tweet at a person and you wait for them to tweet back. It just, you don't get that. Twitter sucks for communication, which is really ironic because it is a amazing way to quickly disperse information and to create quickly, havoc. Yeah, quickly plug into uh, memes and you know, and I don't mean memes as in you know, I like turtles kind of memes, but memes as in cultural memes, things that are relevant and trending and things that matter to people. You know, on any given moment in our you know, society, especially the digital society, but god damn is it is a terrible way to communicate <laughs> like, it's even, you know, like, DMs and text messaging is a terrible way to communicate just, it's really hard to beat talking to another human being in the same room but, um, it was great to have CJ on, great to talk about something, you know, Rangers adjacent, um, obviously the Devils are in just a really crappy place right now in terms of, you know, their organization, obviously with Ray Shiro and, uh, you know, what, where they are in the standings and all that all that sexy fun in the offseason, Tom, and then, oh, no, Taylor Hall. Um, best offseason ever. Best offseason ever, and then, of course, you know, I've it's something I've been saying for a while is just, you know, the Devils are... It's really fun that they definitely won that tail that first Taylor Hall trade, but uh, if you can't keep them around, it's it's gonna hurt. And I I'm of the opinion they didn't get enough back in that haul. That's something we should have talked to uh, CJ about. But you know we ran a little bit long, which was fine. We got to talk about a lot, but it was a fun show, a little extra long show for everyone this week. I hope you all enjoyed it.
Yeah, and uh, we will join you again very soon for Off the Post. And uh, thanks again for for listening, and we will uh, talk to you again very soon. All right, take it easy, folks. Bye-bye. Bye.